0: Focus on the fact that you don't have to make a 10 million dollar exit to, to have a great lifestyle, and to have that be the goal. To try to, um, you know, enjoy it along the way, because so uh, so many people that we've been around kind of sh- try too hard for for that exit. That's just probably never going to happen. We think it's a lot more realistic for people to uh, make a comfortable living and to uh, prioritize the things that they spend time and money on than uh, to chase you know the to being the next facebook or even some smaller derivative of that
1: we stand today The Business Method with the Shadow. The Business Method. The Business Method Podcast. The Business Method Podcast featuring Chris Reynolds. Entrepreneurs' systems, methods, tools, and tactics for location independence. a million dollars or more in annual revenue. There's a growing movement of people building these caliber of businesses, and we are getting behind the minds, the logic, and the science of what it takes to build businesses like this. On top of that, we also gather entrepreneurs at events and retreats around the world. This October, we are having our annual event in Thailand, Get Shit Done Live. It's 10 days of high-performance productivity, targeted collaboration, and rapid execution designed for entrepreneurs to get a lot of work done in a little amount of time. Some say it's like 10 months of work in 10 days. There's a magic that happens when brilliant minds come together to push one another towards productive execution. That is exactly what this retreat is about. Check out all the details at thebusinessmethod.com. That is thebusinessmethod.com. Now, let's jump in today's show. The Business Method. Many people in the world were sold the lives that they are living by people and systems that don't necessarily serve them. They wander day in and day out through life wondering why they aren't happy. This is the core concept of lifestyle design. You designing a life that fits your needs and dreams. Today's guest is a fellow lifestyle designer and someone that is working hard to help others opt out of the traditional life. His name is Nate Broughton and he is the co-founder of the Opt Out Life Movement and Opt Out Podcast. Nate grew up in Missouri and hit a gold mine as a young college student working for a company that sold tickets online. A few years later, that company was worth $22 million. Taking what he learned from that company and partnering with some others, Nate and the team then grew a mortgage company that still runs today and two other businesses that he could exit from for over seven figures each. He then opted out of his own life and moved to Southern California and traveled the world. Throughout the show, Nate and I discussed lifestyle design and creating side hustles to help people escape nine to fives and free them up from monthly expenses. We also talk about steps one can take building a side hustle, how to travel with a family, and what it's like being a long-term digital nomad. It's another exciting episode, you guys, and without further ado, let's welcome Nate to the show. Entrepreneur systems, methods, tools, and tactics. Listeners, I'm really excited to welcome a fellow lifestyle designer and location independent entrepreneur and curator of the Location Independent Lifestyle Design Movement, Nate Broughton to the show. Nate, how are you, buddy?
0: Good, man. Thanks for having me. This will be fun.
1: Yeah, thanks for coming on the show, and I'm glad I was reading, checking out your website and I actually saw your I guess it was kind of a promo video or the second video you guys put out telling about um, your life and in your partner partner Dana's life, your business partner Dana's life. And um, I I resonated with it because you guys are just cool dudes hanging out in Southern California doing awesome stuff as entrepreneurs, but also maximizing uh, lifestyle design and traveling the world. And so I always get stoked when I hear those stories because I'm like, oh yeah, right in the same tribe with you. So welcome to the show, man. And um, I hear... Well, you kind of mentioned maybe that you may have a fun travel story that you could start the show off with. Do you mind sharing one?
0: <laughs> <laughs> sure, you know it's it's uh, sometimes hard to choose, but uh, but yeah, I got uh, I'll, I'll choose one that's right down the way actually, so I'm sitting in San Diego right now, um, and I, I'm originally from Missouri, but I moved here seven years ago.
1: Dude, I'm from Missouri. And, uh, oh, really? Yeah, I grew uh, up in Lee Summit. Where are you from?
0: I'm other side I grew up in St. Louis ah cool well we could <laughs> chat more awesome. about
1: Missouri Tech later <laughs>
0: I love it I love it yeah. uh, so many connections come back to that place um, yep. but yeah actually uh, it, this isn't one of my more, you know I've done so much uh, travel like international stuff in the, you know, the last 10 or 15 years but this one's a little older but when we were 19 my buddies and I from the University of Missouri. We drove out to San Diego. It was the first time that I'd ever been here, and I had heard so many good things about it. It was kind of like the uh, the utopia place for me to go. So we hopped in the van, last day of school, drove out to San Diego at 19. And the second night we were here, we uh, got talked into going down to TJ, to Tijuana. Uh-huh. So we, uh, we, rode the, we rode the trolley down from downtown, we crossed over the border, and uh, we found a cab. We had no idea where we were going, And we got into the scariest cab ride of my life, um, (laughs) going about 120 kilometers an hour. in and around uh, TJ, down to Revolution, Revolution Streets, um, got uh, you know whisked into a couple of different bars and clubs and offered every kind of drug you can imagine. <laughs> and uh, some of my friends ended up having a good time that night. We'll say that. And uh, I ended up passing out on the train ride back. But it was uh, what was funny about it is since I've moved here, uh, I, I've learned all these things that were very unsafe that we did on, on that trip. Like we, right. we took every wrong step and. Uh, in an era where you probably weren't uh, too safe going down there to begin with. So it's been fun to uh, look back on that goofy time when I was 19 and uh, have the perspective of all my friends who grew up here being like, I can't believe you guys did that. You ended up <laughs> in this place, in this place. And uh, I've been down there a few times since. to uh, go down there for soccer games with some of my buddies and it's it's still wild, but uh, nothing compares to that uh, that 19-year-old trip.
1: Right, of course. Uh, Tijuana is an uh, interesting place and we did the same thing in, in school. So I went to Northwest Missouri State and then we had a marketing um, group that we took a trip out to San Diego and did did a day down in Tijuana. And I was I've, I heard about the infamous cab rides down there. And I was like, let's do it. Let's go. And there was a girl in the group. I mean, it's probably smart that we listened to her. She was like, no, we are not doing a cab ride. And I'm like, come on, it'll be fun, you know, <laughs> trying to egg everybody on. And all the guys were in in on it. But this one girl just hold, held strong. And, and um, so it's good to know that we probably made the right decision <laughs> yeah man i mean i'm sure you've been on the back of like tuk-tukes and uh-huh. motorbikes and
0: places all over the world and other crazy cab rides but nothing compares to a dark ride in, in tj <laughs> that's
1: for sure <laughs> all right well great story man and you're in southern california right now that's right Yep. san diego right Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have an
0: office in Mission Hills, which is near downtown San Diego.
1: Okay, and why I love San Diego, and I think it's one of the best cities in the world. I'm curious why you guys decide to base there. It's it, like I mentioned, it was
0: always like this utopian place in my mind. So whether it was from movies or, or punk rock, or from <laughs> from my friends skating and stuff, like it always seemed like the the place to go. Like Southern California and San Diego was like the laid back, uh, more approachable place uh, in Southern California versus like LA. And I don't know, as soon as I got here, I I felt like I was at home and I started coming here a lot for conferences. I started coming here for like internet marketing masterminds and retreats. And this is a bit of a Mecca for internet marketers um, uh, for one. And so there was a lot of people here that I connected with that were either from here or relocating here. And it made it easy to kind of connect with a community of like-minded people um, on the professional side. And then I actually ended up starting kind of a networking group with my partner Dana that we have Opt Out Life with now. Ten years ago, before I even lived here, I would fly out here and host parties and uh, networking events for other entrepreneurs because I wanted to kind of build a base. Um, So that plus climate plus uh, this is a city that is – full of people who, I mean, for the most part, they're here because they want to be here. So I think that makes people pretty open um, to uh, new friendships and uh, new ideas and coming from uh, the Midwest and St. Louis in particular, probably even more so than Kansas City, in my personal opinion. uh, There's not a lot of churn. So there's not a lot of people moving there. There's not a lot of New ideas um, and openness and things like that. There's just a lot of generational entrenchment and, uh, you know, provincial thinking and all that stuff. So San Diego is a breath of fresh air. And it's always you know 68 degrees in that fresh air too, so it doesn't hurt. <laughs>
1: that makes sense. And some cool palm trees and uh, sea breeze as well. I I always gauge a city by how I feel when I fly into it. So I'm, when I look out the window and how I'm ex- how how excited I I am. So I would I remember I would travel back and forth from Kansas City, and I lived in Phoenix for a few years, and I would always see the sights and the mountains in Phoenix and get really excited about being there. And I didn't have that feeling as much as Kansas. Kansas City. And so now I've been uh, traveling the world for about seven years. And so when I see a city, when I fly into it, if I get that excited feeling, I know, okay, this is going to be a place that I should spend some time and return to. And uh, mm-hmm. I think it's just a really cool way to gauge on whether you know you're in the right place for for your life at the time, for sure. I was just going to say
0: Phoenix is a good one for that, uh, and San Diego too, both because of the way you kind of approach if you're going by that metric alone. Um, you're kind of coming in, and you got the mountains and the city, and you're kind of close to – downtown and and a, a lot of stuff that's going on in both regards versus like kansas city where you fly into like uh, cornfields 25 miles north <laughs> of, uh, or not cornfields but, but yeah san diego nails that because you cross right over downtown and land right on the harbor so it's uh it's got a good first presentation for people landing on planes yeah makes sense
1: well right. nate we want to get to know you as the entrepreneur that you are i know if you've had uh, four seven figure businesses and sold them recently sold your last one earlier this year and now you're pushing to opt-out life. We'll talk about that too. Uh, but I'd love to listen to how this St. Louis boy got his start into the world of entrepreneurship.
0: Absolutely. You know it was uh it was very lucky I think because it happened in in, in Columbia, Missouri where I went to college. So I, I didn't really have the entrepreneurial bug. A lot of the people we have on the podcast, a lot of people have become friends hustling and you know, making a buck any way they could when they were 15 and 12 and 10 years old. And uh, that didn't really happen for me. I was just kind of more into sports and whatever. But when I got to college, I was kind of quickly bored. I realized I had a lot of extra time on my hands. So I just started looking for jobs. And uh, the first job I found in the student paper was one for uh, a company that was it just said entirely online, work from your dorm room, Make uh, it was like make 10 bucks an hour or something, or it was make good money from your dorm room. They were taking advantage of the high speed T1 internet connection back then. This is 2001. Nice. And uh, I just got lucky and got caught up with some guys that were in their mid 20s that had, you know, recently graduated and had started a ticket brokerage. Um, so they were effectively scalping tickets but doing it online in, a, in an era well before like the consolidation of StubHub and uh, and tickets now getting bought by Ticketmaster a lot of these things have kind of just all gone up in just a few behemoths but back in 2001 it was very much uh, every man for himself on the internet so these guys had figured out how to do internet marketing really well and uh, I mean the first day in the office I was just starting to learn this stuff I had no idea what it was and uh, I was amazed by the power of it we grew that business to 22 million in revenue um, wow. my junior year. Uh, yeah, it was crazy. But, I mean, you think back, and it was like if you wanted to Google anything Super Bowl tickets, uh, Shania Twain tickets, Elton John tickets, Cardinals tickets, Cubs tickets, we were number one and sometimes number one, two, and three for all those. And it was so that was a really quick introduction to the power of online marketing and also this alternative approach, I guess you'd say, to business where um, we started in their their house and the bedrooms and the basement and then eventually in an office and everyone in the office was 22 or 20, 24. Um, so you can imagine the culture, um, that was there. it was, it was a lot of fun (laughs) and it was nothing like, uh, nothing like what I expected business to be. So that's when I was like, this is cool. This is what I want to do. And I've just been trying to kind of replicate that with the marketing and the culture kind of ever since. Well,
1: that first business was that, or was that run by college kids from the university of Missouri? Yeah, yeah. They the guys who founded it were uh, graduates of Mizzou,
0: and then uh, I mean everybody that worked there. We had probably fifty, sixty employees uh, that all went to that school. Incredible. And what was the name of the business? Can you share? Yeah, it was called Show Me Tickets. So like show the Show Me, t- me states. <laughs> <laughs> show Me Tickets. Uh, it was, uh, and then it was acquired in two thousand five. So it was uh, you know a quick run. I was there for four years and was kind of the head of marketing. And then the business got bought, and we started a bunch of other stuff um, just because we knew we had the skills to market kind of anything. And uh, I mean, digital marketing is a beautiful skill to have, and it's it's obviously evolved into a lot of different uh, methods these days, and it's a lot more competitive. But even going back 10 or 15 years, it was it was much like a superpower, where it was like, choose your industry, right. we can create customers. So that's kind of what we did, and we got into more and uh, that became a big thing. We launched this nationwide mortgage bank and um, it's still around. I mean, there's over 2,000 employees at this bank that um, the same group kind of founded and um, those guys still own. And, uh, you know, that's part of my rise over the next four or five years after we exited the ticket business was being the CMO of this mortgage company that we grew large and I ended up just cashing out my shares of that so I could move to California and, uh, and start some other stuff.
1: Wow, cool. Did you guys start this the mortgage business out of Columbia too, or did you guys move back to St. Louis? Yeah. Yeah, yeah no. It's,
0: it's still it's still headquartered in Columbia. There's over a thousand employees in Colombia. Wow. It's one of the largest employers in the city. With and, the, the
1: uh, with the same founders from the ticket business? Yep, same <laughs> oh, cool. guys. How cool, man. And and how long did you work with that company? Uh, we actually, so we kind of started it on the side when we still had the ticket
0: business. So it was from 2003 until, uh, the end of 2010 is when I officially kind of cashed out and, uh, moved out here okay. um, shortly thereafter.
1: And you ran a couple other businesses on your own, right? Yeah. It was this, the you know, if you
0: kind of get the background that I've been telling, we were very entrepreneurial and we had this excuse me, online marketing bets, we would start stuff just kind of on a whim. And uh, so we had started two other businesses while we had the mortgage company. We started uh, suretybonds.com, which was an online insurance agency modeled after the mortgage business. So we were licensed nationwide to do primarily surety bonds. Uh, But, you know, it's just basically commercial lines of insurance and some other things. And uh, some of the guys that worked for me in marketing partnered with me on that and really ran with it. We grew that business for... um, Five years and then sold that one in 2014 and um, and then the other one was uh, I took a couple guys out of the marketing department there and partnered with them and we moved to San Diego together so actually when I came out here we brought eight eight or nine uh, people from Missouri to San Diego opened up an office here and we had a company called spread effect that was just digital marketing services um, publishing network basically so we published articles around the web um, in all different categories um, for PR agencies, for marketing teams, and for SEO teams um, around the country. We had big clients like uh, AT&T and Verizon and then just kind of small mom-and-pop marketing teams as well um, out here in San Diego.
1: And grew that for a while and actually sold it as well in 2014. That's fascinating, man. Just college kids from Missouri making it big. I like that. Mm -hmm. How long have you guys been in San Diego now? A little over seven years now. Okay, cool. And what was the primary motivator to leave Missouri because you had your team there you had you were set up, you had success there what was what was the the, the real thing that that uh broke the camels back and sent you guys out there <sighs> Yeah, you know, if I would have stayed, I'd probably be a lot richer even. <laughs> um, <laughs>
0: uh, so, no, it was, uh, it was totally about, like, kind of the stuff I was sitting at before, wanting to be around a different uh, crew of people and the climate. And I just had always felt like success to me would mean getting out in some way. Uh, you know, I, I actually had designs on going to college outside of the state, but that didn't happened because i was dating a girl who's now my wife and i kind of stayed there for her and it just i don't know it bubbled up a lot where it's like this huge desire to travel um travel the world and then also just live in a different place and do something different and as i would go out uh being in this internet marketing industry i would meet so many people at these conferences around the country in vegas and in california and on the east coast and they were Living a a lifestyle that seemed appealing to me where they didn't have, uh, you know, they didn't have to go into an office every day necessarily. Um, And that office definitely wasn't in St. Louis or anywhere near like that. Um, It seemed like they were a little bit freer. And I was like, this is the perfect skill set for someone who wants to live remote and live independently. If you can do what I already know how to do. You can be anywhere so i i was confident that i kind of had the skill set and the network to do that and i was like this is the perfect thing i can uh, i just need to figure out a, a graceful way to exit the stuff in missouri and uh, use that some of that momentum and um, i'd be foolish not to go try this and another big reason was uh, my wife and i were married but we didn't have kids yet and we really wanted to travel a ton and live somewhere different so the timing also was kind of like we we should do this now not two years after you have kids it's a lot harder to move than five Mm -hmm. years before you have kids so the timing just kind of lined up as
1: well but now you have kids and you're traveling quite a bit is it is it difficult for you guys or do you manage pretty well how do you balance that i think we manage it pretty well i you know i joke
0: on the podcast and with the opt-out life stuff it's kind of like the question i get the most um (laughs) and i got this before we headed in this you know it's like how are you pulling this off um because it's it's challenging yeah I, I think it's just we care we care so much about travel and the the highs of travel mean so much that we're willing to go through the pains and i think a lot of people uh rightfully so just kind of get too frustrated with the the costs or the uh the log- just logistical challenges or whatever and they're like they're just not going to do it but for us it's it's just so awesome to continue to travel and to share it with our kids. So I, I love that my son spent his first birthday in Copenhagen, you know, uh, like up till midnight on the solstice because his cool. birthday's 23rd. And my um, like cool stories like that are, are priceless to me. And I just I really I mean, and I didn't want to um, I didn't want to stop, I guess, my lifestyle just because I had kids. So we've just committed to figuring it out. And uh, we've learned a lot of like cool hacks and tricks along the way to make it easier and, uh, and yeah, it's just a priority thing. I think it's like every trip we just got back from Vancouver and actually before that we were in Sweden for a couple of weeks and I mean the flights back and forth were, there were some bad moments on those <laughs> flights, but uh,
1: there were also a lot of good moments on the trip too. So I think it's just a, a
0: motivation thing, um, pulling it off.
1: I think that flying is the is the worst part. Yeah. Packing and then flying in and, but once you get, once you land and it's all good for the most part, as long as you have a nice place to stay. What are some of the hacks that you guys use Nate for, for your family travels? I mean, some simple ones, and some people don't know, is, uh, you know, a kid can fly for
0: free until they're two years old, Um, so, you know, you don't have to buy a ticket, a seat for them if you don't want to. Um, When they're really small, you don't necessarily need one, and when they get to be kind of one and a half, it's a bit of a judgment call where it would be easier to have a seat, but if you're flying, uh, you know, across the Atlantic and you're saving 800 bucks, then you can save 800 bucks that way. Mm -hmm. Um, But beyond that, like, uh, staying in hotels, we've... uh, we Bring our own uh, nest cameras a lot. So, uh, you know, these like monitors these days are just kind of like cameras. And uh, we've been able to like set up those cameras in the hotel. Uh, You can call the network administrator get the uh, AFID code or whatever it is on the back of the camera so the cameras will work. And that way we can have dinner down in the lobby while our kids are, are asleep up in the hotel room. And that's also a bit of a, a judgment thing. Like some people I don't think would want to do that, but we've had a lot of fun nights um, and gotten some freedom by by just having some cameras on our kids up, up in the hotel rooms. Um, some of the other ones, like we, uh, a lot of stuff for plane flights, you mentioned the plane flight being kind of the part that people seem to focus in on as the hardest part and rightfully so, um, we've come prepared with a bag of everything you can imagine. We, we Christmas wrap toys, um, from home so they can spend two hours just unwrapping stuff. That's a very good, <laughs> That's a great idea. we buy, uh, we buy little stickers that are like just easy, like peel on and off that they can stick on the plane windows and on the, um, tray tables and that usually buys us some time um a lot of snacks uh the ipad obviously but my wife's got a whole bag of tricks when we, we get on the plane we also got um this inflatable thing i actually don't know the name of it is the first flight we had it but it you can blow it up and it like goes from the floor up to the height of the seat uh-huh. and if you have a kid who's kind of in that one to two year maybe even three year old age range it'll like make makes a bed for them basically where they wow. can lay. Wow on the seat, and we had our son sleep for about five or six hours on the way back from Sweden on that, um, which worked out really great. And uh, you know, sometimes you can get him to sleep on the floor, but that's against, I think, the FAA rules or something. So sometimes yeah. the stewardess yell at you for that. So that was <laughs> kind of our routine was like, let's blow this thing up. It fits in a little pouch. And um, that was a great new hack. So blah, we have a ton of things like that, strollers and car seats and all these like travel friendly ones that make it leaner and meaner and, and easier to travel.
1: That's incredible. Do you guys talk more about that on your podcast? Some of the, the family travel hacks you have?
0: Yeah, we've worked it in a little bit. Like uh, part of the thing with the opt out life is uh, I struggle with the practical cause we, we do so much storytelling. Um, and I don't want to kill the narrative with, uh, breaking in with my top tips or whatever, but, um, uh, <laughs> We're trying to figure out ways to do more of that. So we have actually a course that we've built that has, I mean, several hours of family travel hacks and tips, and we're trying to, I think, turn some of that into just free podcast content as well. So it's uh, on the other side of the paywall where where it's free, and people can get access to that in like a different format, like Opt Out Life
1: Tactics podcast or something. Have you heard of um, the Sundance family? No. So they're a family, I had the father on the podcast a while back, but uh, they're a family of, with six children that have been traveling consistently for like 15 years and they go nonstop. Yeah. They have a blog and a big following based on uh, how they live their life. And literally it's like, you know, two months in Utah, four months in Bali, six months. Yeah. Actually, I don't think they stay six months anywhere, but three months in Europe and then they'll just, you know, every few months. And then the the kids actually go choose places from time to time where other family, traveling families are going to be based so they can have kids to play with. So the kids' best friends are also traveling families, part of tra- traveling families and they go, you know, spend time with them a few few months out of the year. So I think it's it's definitely doable. More and more people are making it possible based on these little travel hacks like an inflatable cushion that lets the kids sleep and put stickers on the windows it makes it so much easier and less stressful for for the for the parents for sure i think that's incredible
0: yeah and it's uh it's that's really cool to hear too because you hear of people doing that with young kids or no kids but people with kids who are school age and uh, doing fun stuff like that letting them pick where to go yeah that's awesome to hear and then also I mean, as you know, the, the ways that people can make money these days uh, make that so much more realistic. So I'm sure they're able to monetize that blog and that that site one in and of itself, but also being a, a digital nomad of sorts and being able to do remote work. Uh, so many people we talk to, and I'm sure you do too, are able to pull that off. It makes it all so much more realistic.
1: Absolutely. So so let's talk more about the, op, the opt-out life concept and, and the business and the movement. You guys... Well, the idea of it is to get more and more people and start this movement of people that want to choose out of the, whatever life they were originally sold, correct? Yeah, yeah, we've, uh, we've tried to you know winnow it down to a couple of those taglines and
0: uh, you know choose the life you want, not the one you've been sold has been good. Uh, it's, it's easier to control your, your time when you control your income. Um, and, and, yeah, it's, it's these people that have chosen an alternative path, whatever way that may be, to, uh, to income primarily and then uh, with an eye on lifestyle. Uh, so so the, the, the goal is often to have more control of, of your time and income so you can choose the lifestyle you want. And, uh, and one of the bigger differences uh, with what we do with Opt Out is to focus on the fact that you don't have to make uh, you know $10 million exit to, to have a great lifestyle. And to have that be the goal to try to, um, you know, enjoy it along the way, because so uh, so many people that we've been around kind of ch- try too hard for for that exit. That's just probably never going to happen. We think it's a lot more realistic for people to uh, make a comfortable living and to uh, prioritize the things that they spend time and money on than uh, to chase, you know, the, to being the next Facebook or even some smaller derivative
1: of that right that's a really good way to look at it because so many people think you need to create something so big in order to create this lifestyle but really i'm in thailand right now and honest to god there's so many people that live here well on a thousand fifteen hundred bucks a month and i come here every october november um we'll get a one-bedroom apartment with a view uh in a resort with a pool eat out almost every single meal and all, all and and go on adventures downhill mountain biking and go see the elephants and I'll be surprised if I spend 1500 bucks in that month on my living expenses. Like it's really, uh, completely doable. A little bit more challenging in San Diego, but, um, sure. But, <laughs> but a lot of people can, can manage it. What are some of the, the, the more inspiring stories you guys have had on your podcast? <laughs>
0: You know, I love so many of them. Um, some of the more recent ones we had a uh, we had a former L.A. cop on. Tim Berkwin was his name, and uh, is his name, and he spent seven years on the force there. Uh, and he was day trading stocks uh, in his spare time, and uh, this was going back into the '90s, so it's been a while. But uh, but yeah, he worked on the force for six or seven years, and he's got a nice story where he uh, you know it was Christmas Eve, six years into that, and he was dropping off his wife and his daughter at the in-laws and he was going in for his eight hour shift and he just decided then and there that, you know, no more of this. Like I can't, I'm not going to live my life this way no matter, no matter how great uh, a lot of the aspects of working for the police department are. Um, and I mean that in the way that there's a nice pension and there's uh, a lot of, uh, dependability in the job there. I think that's a, a harder job than some others to leave um i know it's kind of a loaded uh profession with all the things that can happen to police officers but it was it was his career and he uh and he made the leap out of there because he wanted to be not have that happen on christmas eve and he uh and the way he was able to do that which is something we key in on a lot too is he kind of had these side hustles going for for some time that were hobbies that he would, you know, he would work a an eight or ten hour shift, and he would come home, and then he would work four hours on his side hustle, and it grew into this thing that he was able to kind of, you know, he was confident enough that he could leave his career, and the guaranteed uh, long term future for for that, and to turn it into a real business, and he did. He grew one of the most successful events for stock traders um, around in the late 90s and early 2000s, and sold it. Wow! And he's gone on to do a few other entrepreneurial things as well um and i loved that story because it it showed that some people can uh you know make the leap out of those situations and uh and the the way to to make it more realistic than ever is to to have kind of a something going on the side because i think a lot of people want to be entrepreneurs or they have fantasies of taking this idea that is this grand idea that's in their head and turning it into reality but that's almost too hard too much of a leap i think to make and we encourage people to play around with things on the side like so many businesses i started as i've kind of explained started as something we were just messing with um while we had other businesses so many of my partners uh, streams of income are just what you call side hustles that he does for an hour a month but they produce meaningful income and it allows him to uh to not have a real job it allows him to to he moved to bali for a year and a half and a real big reason was his side hustles not his uh not his profession as attorney. So I love stories that illustrate that. And uh, one other one, quickly, I'll say we had, who uh, was actually a, a guest of yours, I, I think, was uh, Jack Haldrup. Oh, yeah. Who um, started uh, um, the soap brand. I call it the kid in his soap brand. <laughs> um, Dr. Squatch, uh, right? They, Dr. Squash. Yeah, I'm a believer, man. I use that stuff now. Um, but I've got to try a, it out still. Yeah, yeah. He definitely converted me. But such a cool story of, a, of a, someone who was younger, who uh, you know was working a job for a couple of years that he wasn't too into. And uh, what I liked about his story was he just kind of was like, I have to come up with an idea before I get off this plane. <laughs> and he just came yeah. up with one idea, and the idea was to start a soap company, and he turned it into a five million dollar business. I just I think that's a beautiful story um, for, for just committing to something and, and making it happen. So we love uncovering those, and and it really it illustrates that uh, people of all different ages and backgrounds are pulling this off. And um, opting out really mean whatever you want it to mean. Uh, it, and that's kind of a good and bad thing. Um, but I think a good thing in that. It doesn't have to mean quitting your job, and it doesn't have to mean um, starting something that grows to ten million. It could be a lot of stuff in between. Um, it's just whatever allows you to to take back a little bit of control, allows you to not have moments during the day where you're like doing something that you don't want to do. So you guys have a community with Opt Out Live, right? Yeah, yeah, we're start, we're trying, we're we're building okay. one for sure. Um, the Facebook group. Uh, we just did a live event here in San Diego last weekend. Um, where we had about 50 or 60 people come out. Um, and I think we're going to start doing those a, a lot more. So it's slowly growing. Definitely, you know, the the thousands of people on the email list and a lot of interaction yeah. with them as well. But um, yeah, getting there.
1: Can you talk about how you guys are building the community and why you're choosing to do live events and some of the other options to opt in? What, Why would somebody opt into the opt-out life? And uh, <laughs> And then what the benefits they'll get from being a part of the community.
0: Well, we're trying to build it. I think the old fashioned way, like you know, email opt-ins, uh, sending out, you know, uh, you know, newslettery content every so often with featured stories from the podcast, but also a lot of stuff from, um, Dana's book. So actually, I mean, the genesis for opt-out life was Dana, my partner, um, you know, spent a year plus in Bali and wrote this book called opt-out and it was his, uh, his philosophy on life. Um, uh, not just, you know, the story of going to Bali, that was kind of the hook, um, where he, you know, sold everything here in San Diego, and you know his, his daughter was out of the house, and him and his wife moved to Bali, and uh, to reset. But uh, but what the book really was was his approach to uh, to income through um, through side hustles, through uh, buying businesses on the cheap, through real estate investing, and uh, and then on the uh, the other side like expense control and and travel and lifestyle and all that stuffs in this book. So we we've been trying to. Um, repurpose a lot of it, make it uh, more um, you know bite-sized, and give that out through the Facebook group, through the newsletter. And uh, we've also built a few courses that uh, we're putting out there. And uh, we're really working towards building it into a monthly membership where there's, you know, there's themes and you can access some uh, some of that content depending on where you're at, whether you need ideas to start your first side gig or side hustle. We've got hundreds of them of real world examples with, you know, step by step how to do them, examples of people in the community who have done them and access to talk to those people. And then, uh, and then a lot of like live AMA live streams where we talk about real estate investing or, or travel hacks or whatever the topic du jour is, um, just bringing people in the community there and getting them to interact is the goal. And it's cool to see even in the smaller state that it's in now where people will post questions or you know they're hung up on building their Alexa app and uh, there's someone in the community that can actually answer the question. Uh, that's so cool to see. And I hope it just grows, um, for the years over the next few years into uh, a lot more interaction online and yeah, hopefully some bigger live events. Cause we feel like, um, the relationships that you can form, the experience you can have, um, when you surround yourself with a lot of other people who have opted out or who are believing in building that as uh, kind of the mantra of their life, uh, can be really powerful. So we've, we've
1: done that on a small scale and hopefully we can do it a lot more. How long was your, How many days was your live event you just did? It was just two days. And, and what are some of the things that you guys went over during that time? Did you have additional speakers come in, or was it just you guys? We did. We had a, a lot of speakers
0: come in. Um, Most people from our personal network, um, but we had a few that were from out of town um, that flew in. And uh, we had... We talked about SEO, internet marketing, because I I had a a couple of really good guys in town from that world, so some kind of higher end, new school ideas on how to build content, to build websites, to build traffic, we had a real estate panel where we talked about real estate investing and doing your first real estate deal and kind of getting into it um, as a hobbyist real estate investor because we really believe in that as a long-term wealth builder, especially for people who are doing the opt-out life because there's a lot you can do with rental properties and uh, we just kind of believe in it more than uh, you know traditional stock investing or 401ks. Um, we also talked a lot about buying and selling businesses um, and, and kind of like hobbyist businesses where you could... Buy a digital business that makes 20 grand a year or 50 grand a year on some of these uh, network sites where these things are for sale and improve it and flip it or improve it and cash flow it. Um, we talked a lot about that and uh, some other traffic strategies. Definitely a pretty heavy on internet marketing, but I think that's a lot of ways, in, in some ways, that a lot of uh, people who follow this path are, are, are making their incomes.
1: You've talked a lot, Nate, about side hustles, and the side hustles have helped to create both yours and Dana's ideal life uh, when picking a side hustle is there any suggestions you know if we have some listeners that are out there either current entrepreneurs or or who want to be entrepreneurs are there any suggestions on how to pick a good side hustle
0: yeah and there's a few like fundamental ones that uh, I hope will resonate with people when I say them it's a when you're evaluating them, because a lot of people I think get hung up on like, I need an idea. I just need an idea. Well, there's a lot of ideas for side hustles. You can Google that. Um, you can uh, go to these places like Fiverr or Upwork and see what people are selling and, and find side hustle ideas. You can go to flippa.com and find web businesses that are for sale. And even if you're not in the in the position to buy one, you could like get full information about the industry and how they're monetizing it and give you ideas so i think ideas can can be found but but yeah if you want a good side hustle you need something that's gonna have a low capital outlay so you can't be putting 10 20 grand into your side hustle because um, that's not a side hustle that's a business you you can't jump into something that has a high time requirement because that's a business, not a side hustle. Like this is supposed to be the thing you do that's kind of fun that you can do in your spare time that you don't know, has a high dollar amount um, reward. I'll say for for the time you put in. So be careful there. You don't want something that's got a lot of risk or 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 that leads to a lot of stress. Those two kind of go together, I think, because if you if you jump into a side gig that has some large legal risk, um, you know, whatever it may be, if you're providing a service that requires you to carry some sort of insurance or something like that, that uh, could get you in hot water if you don't have it. That's not a good side hustle either. And uh, so those are some good criteria. And then and then Dana also likes to say that a side hustle should uh, should have steady income. Um, he likes that and he set a lot of his up for that because then it's dependable. Then, it, then it's really something that, you know, when you make your monthly uh, financial uh, budget or statement or goals, like you can count on that 500 bucks from your side hustle, then it's real. Then it's something that, you know, if you, you lose your job or you decide to quit your job and to travel for a while or whatever, then that's something you truly can't control and you can count on being there and I think that makes a lot of sense to me where uh you know if you know if it's 500 bucks a month that's better than up and down or, or not there next month
1: incredible man I love it I think that's all I've got Nate <laughs> is is there anything else you want to share with the listeners before we wrap up no I don't think so man you uh so you're in, how long have you been in Thailand you, you say you go there every year every October November so cool so in a digital nomad world, there's um, a bit of a migration. And so there's a lot of digital nomads that will migrate down to Southeast Asia and Thailand and Bali um, in October, November, December, January time. And they call it the digital nomad Christmas. And there's a big conference. <laughs> yeah, there's a big conference called DCBKK every October. And then afterwards, we do our event, uh, which is called Get Shit Done Live, which is 10 days of intense productivity afterwards and then we kind of play we we play around thailand either on the islands or a lot of us are up in chiang mai and we go downhill mountain biking and go on some dirt bike trips and and scooter trips and and that's the the fun christmas you know so people that have met each other throughout the year it's kind of like a reunion And uh, everybody gets to kind of have the little reunion here in Chiang Mai. And then, then either people go off for Christmas and I think February starts burning season in Chiang Mai and then they'll end up going somewhere else. So, wow. Yeah. That's, that's, that's awesome,
0: dude. Like, uh, you know, I've, I've, been you know becoming more and more aware of, of that community and I, I've been a fan of your stuff for a, a while here and especially that live event I think that sounds so cool yeah. um but yeah we, we had uh Scott's Cheap Flights one of the founders of that on the podcast and I know he had spent some time over there and the way he was describing it you know I'd always pictured you know a, a lone a lone wolf with his <laughs> laptop in a in a in a hostel somewhere but you know it's like no there's like 20 of us in a co-working space and we all hang out and it's like a mastermind that's really cool that that community is there it's got to be so fulfilling to be around and, and so beneficial when you're kind of all doing the same thing um, and then also you know having fun half the time too so that's cool man I, I'd love to uh, make it out there sometime and get more plugged into that world because I think it overlaps a lot with uh, with what we're putting out there with opt-out life
1: yeah absolutely and, and the really cool thing that it's been been going for a few years. So Chiang Mai is kinda like the hot the hub and actually Bali too, the hubs, you know. So any co working space you go into, you're gonna be numerous entrepreneurs and digital nomads that are living this lifestyle. It's kinda like a university campus, but you know, cities like Lisbon, Barcelona, Berlin Uh, even sofia bulgaria talis georgia you know these these places all around the world are in bali of course and and daval the philippines Um, they're just popping up saigon um, and you go there and you can find a community of digital nomads opt-out lifers and uh, connect with them fairly easy and just you know go have dinner hang out you know all of a sudden have instant world traveling friends and it's a it's a really cool thing to to be a part of I love it, man. Okay, well, uh, yeah. I'll track you guys down somewhere. And getting getting more and more family-oriented. So for the families that are out there, like it's, uh, you know, people come to our events and bring their kids or, um, you know, travel with the kids, kids you know, the, the kid backpacks. They'll put a, their mm-hmm. kids in the backpack and then, you know, go and travel and have their suitcase behind them. You know, it's it's really interesting to see. It's a new way to live for sure. So, awesome. enough about that. If, Nate, if yeah. the listeners want to reach out and learn more about the Opt Out Life and what you guys have going on, where's the best place they could do that at? OptOutLife.com
0: or shoot me an email, Nate at Opt out Life. I am always watching my inbox and trading stories and tips with people from, from all over the world doing this stuff. So, I, I really enjoy that and, and, you know, it's a big reason why we're doing this is just to kind of connect and build that community. So, please have the audacity to reach out, Nate at OptOutLife.com.
1: I appreciate it. that, And um, we're going to wrap up there. Nate, again, I want to thank you so much for giving all your tips and tricks and wisdom with us. We really appreciate it. And listeners, we want to thank you guys for tuning in once again, and we'll see you all on the next episode. Goodbye, everybody. Hey, listeners, thanks for joining us once again. We wanted to remind you about our high-performance productivity coaching and our annual Get Shit Done Live Retreat in Thailand. Both are designed for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs to get a lot of work done rapidly. And whether you need some personal coaching while working away at home or a retreat in Thailand where you can get out of your normal routine and surround yourself with other successful entrepreneurs, we have those options for you. Check out all the details at thebusinessmethod.com and we'll see you on the next podcast.